Hey you guys! Welcome to Poking Bears, where I get to talk to incredible individuals about who they are and where they think the world is headed. I'm so glad you're here to listen to my first episode ever. For this one, I got to chat with Jess Ortaleza. She's a dancer, educator, artist, advocate, and overall just a fantastic human being. We got to talk about the meaning of authenticity as artists, the importance of showing up and joining the fighter on the world, the future of our dance community, and just so much more. Oh, and there's a sneak peek of something special for the post-secondary scene. You're welcome, students. I had so much fun chatting with Jess, and I hope you enjoy listening too. kind of, you know, go back to and kind of recap to where I met you. And I believe it was one of your classes at Kindred. And and, mm-hmm. but, and when I first took one of your contemporary classes, I had, I mean, I knew nothing about contemporary. It was just two of my friends who were like, you know what, come on, it's like, it's not going to be the end of the world, you'll get it. So I was there, you know, hoping not to look like an idiot. And and you were teaching to Julia Michaels issues. And I remember oh. that so vividly, because I, I mean, I knew nothing. I had no idea what I was doing. But you were just such a great teacher because you had this just this amount of patience. And I remember thinking, hey, contemporary isn't that bad because I'm learning it from Jess. And and that's kind of where I really met you. And then that summer I took, a, you know, a couple of more of your classes. And then since then, I think like I, I tend to see you at events predominantly. And it's always like, oh, my God, Jess is over there. Can I go say hi? Like one of those oh. things where I've like just always fangirled about you. But that, that's, that's so- where <laughs> it began. That's so funny. I remember that class. Um, I know that wasn't my first time teaching contemporary kindred. I think I taught two more in that month or something but I remember being so nervous to teach that one specifically because it was so out of the box um and introducing contemporary to a demographic that hasn't really dabbled into it before was nerve-wracking but yeah no I remember you and Daisy coming through to a couple classes and it's nice to it was nice to see you there and then I guess watch you grow and flourish into everything that you're doing now with origin and with this and with like using your voice I don't know it's really cool thank you I really appreciate that um I wanted to talk to you about you know your beginnings and in mm-hmm. your origins really what was your childhood like who was who was Jess as a child well um, my parents immigrated here from the Philippines um, in February of 1995, so just like a couple months before I was born. Um, so I'm first generation, and I have a younger sister who's two years uh, younger than me. We grew up not fairly close. Um, I think as a child, I was really loud and obnoxious, and anywhere we went, I found excuses to be curious and almost caused trouble. (laughs) Um, I remember going to church 
and I would be like underneath the pews, like just crawling underneath people's feet and causing the most disruptions at church, which is like the least place you want to be disruptive. Um, and I think my mom noticed how much energy I had, but didn't know what to do with it. Um, so a lot of my growing up was discovering on my own what I was into. Um, we first lived in Toronto, like around St. Clair and Bathurst. And there was a bakery there that I fell in love with. It was like Dutch inspired open window bakery. And I was like, you know what, one day I want to open a coffee shop. And at like six years old, you don't really know what opening a coffee shop means. You just think like passing by this bakery that you really love is really cute. And so you want to open one when you're older. And then we moved to Woodbridge, which is about like 25 or half hour north of Toronto. And we were in this big house with white walls. And I thought, I can do more than just open a bakery. And for some reason, the white walls inspired me to draw on them with white crayon and white crayon because no one can really see unless like you looked through the side when the like the light in the window would hit the wall. Um, and I started writing on the walls and pretending that I was a teacher. And I would make my sister sit down and listen to all the nonsense that I had to say. And I think from that moment, we moved there when I was, I think, seven or eight. So from that moment, I knew that I wanted to do something that involved teaching. And I didn't know what it was going to mean in terms of subjects that I would want to teach or like hobbies or crafts that I would be teaching. But I knew that it was just fun to stand up in front of one person or a group of people and be like, okay, listen to what I have to say. I don't know if you will learn anything from me, but I think it would be really fun. And then from there, I think naturally um, going through school and again, like learning about myself on my own, I kind of found like a niche and yeah. I find that so, so fascinating because it is hard not to notice how as a kid you were, you know, inspired by, like you mentioned, opening a bakery to mm. kind of do your own thing and, and kind of spread that joy to other people. And then like you mentioned, you know, that um, you had this urge and desire to teach other people. And it's just so amazing that, you know, all of those things you're doing today, like doing your own thing, you're starting your own um, initiatives and then to spread that joy to other people and of course teaching so mm -hmm. to me that's like oh my god Jess as a kid was just the smartest person ever <laughs> and and I kind of want to ask you were, were you always this empathetic and, and compassionate kid yeah so I think again like with my parents moving here and kind of having to build a life for themselves all the while trying to build ours. I was, as a child, like really independent in trying to, again, like figure out who I was, figure out how to go through school without parents helping me, um, how to get homework done, how to do math. And so I think doing that on my own and 
not really asking for help kind of fueled me to help other people in a sense where if I see you struggling, I'm going to help you because I know what it's like to not be helped. And not that I was in like, not that I was afraid to ask my parents for help. They just genuinely didn't know. Like, they didn't go through what I did, for example, with learning certain lessons in math. And so they couldn't answer the questions that I had. And I think that's where, for me, again, going back to if I see you struggling or needing help in some way, shape, or form, I'm going to do that. I'm going to want to do that. Um, just because again, like I didn't get that really when I was growing up. And I think in order for us to thrive, like, yes, we have to look inward and work on the skills that will help us or that will allow us to be successful, whatever that means in our own terms, but also just looking around us and saying, okay, I'm part of some sort of relationship, whether that like to you, a friend, or to you, a partner, or to you, even the classmate. So how can I better our relationship? Um, And if that is going to be in a way through giving or engaging in a conversation that I think, hey, maybe we might need this today. Maybe you need a hello and a smile or something like that. Then I'm going to do what I can to do that even if it means going out of my way and I never think that you have to go out of your way to do something or to be of service like I think for me it's almost second nature to be that way and it might be due to the fact that I have a younger sister but yeah I think that's where that comes from Mm. I think I think it's really cool that at a young age, you were able to kind of master that balance of that give and take and say, Mm -hmm. you know, today I've taken so and so from our relationship, or this energy that we've built here, but I'm going to give back because this is what I feel like what's missing. And I think it's just so cool. And now that you mentioned having a little sister, did that did that somehow kind of push you towards a, a teaching sort of career because you were always in this role of, you know, older sister and kind of passing down the lessons that you learned during a day? Mm-hmm. We don't really talk about, and like growing up, we never really talked about like the life stuff. It wasn't until like graduating university where we started talking about life, but growing up, my mom would be like, can you help your sister with this? Um, because I genuinely don't know how to help. And I think her asking that and seeing how that made my mom feel um, or seeing my sister struggle, that's my sister, right? Like, regardless of how I feel about her, like, we weren't really cl- close growing up. But, yeah, that's my blood. Um, so... I'm going to do what I can to help her. And whether she takes it or not, she knows that I'm there. Um, And that's the least thing that I can do as a sister, right? Is to say that, hey, I'm here whenever you need me. And in the long run, after graduating university, that sense of support was realized and she like was asking questions about where should I go next or what do you think about this so I think like making myself available to her and to others around me I guess like helped shape that 
Yeah, totally. I, I think I see that too. And, and not just with your sister, but I feel like other people like myself, you know, when I got into dance here and, and, and you were always this person to look up to. And I think it's just really, really great. Um, and you mentioned along the way, somehow you figured out what your niche was. Where did dance enter your life? Yeah. So in grade seven, one of my friends and my close friend group was in the talent show. And she did this like a whole acrobatic thing that was just to me insane. First of all, I was like, how can your body move like that? And two, I know what you're trying to tell me. Like, you're telling the story, and I'm here for it, and I'm so captivated. And I remember going home that day and searching up dance studios in the area. And there were there was one that was, like, maybe a 10-minute walk away. And I told my mom about it and was like, I think... I want to do extracurricular activities outside of school. And I know I'm in grade seven and I should be focusing on my grades because then I have to go to grade eight. And then like grade eight is the year that they look at your grades before you go to high school. But I think like doing something outside of school will help me like build confidence. And then she was like, okay, sure. What do you want to sign up for? So I was like, acro, (laughs) because my friend did it and she told a story that made me feel something. So I kind of want to do the same. Um, this is me in grade seven, not knowing that acro means like flips and having to be flexible or like gaining flexibility and things like that. But I wanted to do it because my friend did. So I remember we go to the dance studio, we enroll. And they asked me if I, if I have like my dance leotard and tights because in this studio, there's a particular uniform. And I remember saying, no, but where can I get some? And they handed us this flyer and we went to a dance store near Yorkdale. And I remember walking in through those doors and being like, oh my goodness, like this is the coolest store ever. Why have I never been to any place like this before? where there's just so much athletic wear like this available for dance. Um, And so we bought the leotard, we bought stirrup tights, went to my first class the week after, and I just had such a good time. My acro teacher uh, used to dance for Cirque du Soleil. So she was this crazy, flexible, super kind woman um, who had stopped dancing because she had a daughter. Um, and I remember thinking, wow, like if she can do something like that and have a family and still be doing what she loves, um, maybe that's something that I can try. Uh, and then after that season, I started dancing competitively and continued basically until graduating university. So. That's where my dance journey started. Um, I got a lot of my other friends to like be in it with me, which was really funny because you can tell like some liked it, others didn't. But along the way, like you find the people who are in it for the same reasons you are. Yeah, absolutely. And 
it's just so interesting because even at a young age, at, at you know, the age of 12 or 13, mm-hmm. you were able to kind of figure out what it is that will bring out your confidence. You said, mom, look at this. This mm-hmm. is what's going to make me happy. This is what's going to make me shine. I'm going to go do it. I think that's just so, so fascinating because most people don't really have that kind of ability. They don't have that kind of knowledge until like a much later um, age because most people get pushed into extracurriculars mm-hmm. by their parents or you know by their friends so I think it just is so amazing and so along the way you've diversified as a dancer just so much you know with all these different kinds of styles mm-hmm. and I imagine that they've all sort of influenced your particular dance language and just the language that you use to tell stories mm-hmm. um, and, and which one has just been yep, your favorite experience? Um, I think, so university really shaped contemporary and hip hop for me. Um, in So I went to school for dance and political science. Um, I wanted to be a dancing lawyer, but then I don't know, I guess more evolution happens and you find out like what you're really into and what you're in tune with. Um, So that didn't happen. But yeah, I think university really shaped contemporary, especially because I started learning from um, educators who started their training when contemporary and modern were just emerging out of ballet. And they went through so much in terms of like criticism and new technique and new terminology and things like that. So to learn from educators who went through an artistically challenging but also rewarding experience for me was like, that's the story that I'm learning from. And I'm going to take whatever they're throwing at me and I'll make it my own. There's something um, in learning called reconsolidation, um, where the more you like practice or study material, the more it ends up in your long-term memory. And then when you recall things from long-term memory, then the frame kind of changes a little bit. So for me, um, having my educators tell me their stories, show us these techniques, keep them in my long-term memory, and then spit it out into my own choreography was almost kind of like sharing bits and pieces of their story with my growth and continued growth, and then sharing that with whoever I'm sharing with for them to take and be like, let's turn this into my thing if that makes sense so oh totally it's like you know just passing that ball around and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger as you kind of do it and just that flame just gets brighter Mm -hmm. and it makes me wonder were there like key people and key individuals in your dance journey that really shaped you as an artist yeah um I have her name is Patrizia She was actually my hip hop teacher back when I was at that studio that I grew up in. Um, She's grown to open her own and she's like 
thriving. Um, but I think with her, one important kind of foundation that she had um, was being authentic to your artistry and your work. And at a young age, you're like, what does that mean? What does being authentic mean? How can I be authentic if I'm learning from other people who are teaching me what they've learned from other people? But I think what stuck with me um, learning from her is that everybody is unique and we take what we're learning, whether we take it differently or the same, in our bodies, it's really different. Um, we can execute the same exercise or the same combination, but because it's in our own bodies, it's still going to be really unique. So learning that from her and letting that marinate throughout my years of training has allowed me as an artist to like accept, I guess, like my differentiation from other people um, has encouraged me to let others be unique and support what they're bringing to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, she's been one for me that has really stuck out. And it's so crazy because we were only together for maybe like two or three years. Um, but yeah, just that constant energy of you are your own person and what you bring to the table should be authentic. Because if it's not genuine, then who are you showing up really as um, is kind of what guided me through university and what allowed that process of learning from these crazy educators to think into my uniqueness. Right. I love that. And and when did, where did your love for storytelling come from? Was it a couple of people that you noticed and you said, oh my God, I want to tell stories like they are? Or was it just something that you feel like was just always within you? Mm -hmm. I love watching YouTube videos. Um, But specifically with dance, when you go and watch a show and you're able to feel something without them having to tell you anything, I think that for me is like, wow, I want to do that. but also with like reading I grew up reading a lot um I had a bed frame that had three shelves on it and they were all like stacked in books and then I had more books in my closet um so maybe that played a factor in why like storytelling is huge for me but I think with why I'm in love with it so much is because I can move my body in a certain way and I can feel something on the inside that can be completely different for you but I know that I'm getting a message across to you that you're feeling and that's enough for me um I like to say like when I'm teaching um adults that the stories that we tell with our bodies are not going to be the same like again we can dance the same piece but it's going to be unique to each and every single one of you and so is your story behind it I can give you the meaning behind a certain song or a certain piece. Um, But at the end of the day, it's going to be whatever you make of it to be. So watching people do that to me is like, wow. Right. And I think that lesson in particular, I definitely 
learned it from you in one of your classes. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, just what you said. You can, I could explain the meaning of the song and I could explain what I took from that song, mm-hmm. but none of that really matters as much as what's coming from within you, yeah. how you feel when you heard the song or how you feel doing this movement. And I feel like it's just such an important message for dancers to kind of move forward with their art. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, speaking of teaching, pre-pandemic, of course, you were doing quite a lot of teaching, whether that be adults or mm-hmm. kids in particular. Um, what was that experience like? Yeah, I love teaching a whole range of people. So I started off teaching um, kids ages three to 12. And there's something about their curiosity that makes me feel youthful. I think like if I could put it that way, I know I'm I'm like not that old, but yeah, it just makes me feel really youthful and that their ability to soak up information is just crazy. And as an educator for ages like that you are a fundamental person in their learning like they are learning not only how to dance but how to be a person and a good one so as their teacher like it was really important for me to be of an example and whether I had them for 30 minutes or an hour and a half what was I doing in those minutes that could be of use and purpose to them not just with dance but outside of that as well So a lot of my classes, especially with competitive kids who have almost this nature to be hard on themselves because of the environment, um, depending on whatever environment they're in, um, it was important for me as much as we dance to sit down and be human and talk. Um, So with kids, that was the part of the job that I really really loved and then with adults also too like when you're a beginner at something it's really scary and nobody ever wants to go into a class for the first time and feel like they're doing something wrong so in my classes in my drop-in classes like it was so important for me to be supportive um and raise their spirits as much as it was important for them to be learning something and getting a combo down or getting exercise in or something like that. Um, I enjoy, I think, like the classes where we can be consistent and progressive versus the drop-in style. I've learned that about myself throughout quarantine, um, mainly because like I can work with you And we can like progress with each other week by week versus like you coming in that one time. But I always tell myself, like if they were to come in for that one time, how can I leave an impact that would be long lasting? So yeah, quarantine definitely like was different with teaching, but pre-teaching those values that I would bring into the classroom then would be no different to what I would bring in the classroom now. And especially with kids, I think when you say it's so important to teach them not only how to dance, but how to be human, Mm -hmm. how to be grown ups, because a big part of everyone's childhood is really just 
observing and, and kind of shopping for personalities and shopping for lessons and values. So to be that example, it's just, it's so important. And it's amazing that, you know, our future generation has teachers like yourself to kind of pass down that sort of message as well, which makes me really curious. If there's just one lesson that you could maybe um, pass down or hope to teach to our future generation of dancers, Mm -hmm. what would that be? And maybe that's a lesson you've already learned, or maybe that's something you didn't learn as a child. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's a good question. I think, oh man, there's so much that I can say, but just, uh, yeah, I think show up wholeheartedly and to my younger kids, to put it in simpler terms, it's let's be here and commit to the 30 minutes that we have with each other. And then after these 30 minutes, you can do whatever you want. Um, Mm. so yeah come into this hour and like show up with me, like give me your commitment and I will give you my commitment back. And don't be afraid to be yourself and make those mistakes. Like no one, at least who I know, (laughs) grew up being perfect. Like what is perfect really, right? Um, So if we're not being ourselves and letting those flaws come through and owning them then who are we trying to be when we're trying to be artistic or when we're trying to do something creative like who are we showing up as if we're not showing up as ourselves Mm. and that reminds me of I can't remember where I heard this but somewhere I, I either heard or read that as artists and as storytellers when we do show up as different characters that process is made possible entirely because first we know how to show up as ourselves Mm -hmm. until you know yourself entirely and you're able to kind of be that it's Mm -hmm. it's very difficult to kind of bring about characters and that's just something that I thought was really interesting Mm -hmm. yeah no I agree I think as someone who's had to play like different characters whether through like a speaking role or a dancing role it's like how do I become that if I don't know how to be myself before and after? Um, Or how do I be that if I don't even know how to be that myself? So yeah, that's like a whole other world of tapping into with yourself. And will we ever get to know ourselves truly and really? Like who knows? Because we're always evolving too. Um, Absolutely. And I think that's the whole point of life. I mean, this book that I'm reading by Glennon Doyle, she says something along the lines of to become your truest self, it's going to take an entire lifetime. But good thing that that's exactly what we have. And and that hit me so hard. And I was like, oh my God, that makes so much sense. Yes. So being uh, storytellers and being artists, it's even more important for us to kind of continuously chase our truest selves and, and never stop doing that. So I think it's lovely that, you know, the kids that you do end up teaching get to learn that from you. Mm-hmm. And, and and you talked a little bit about, you know, how the pandemic and how quarantine has kind of changed your role as a teacher and how that's changed um, dance in general. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how do you think it's affected your relationship with dance? Yeah, well, to be honest, like when we hit lockdown for the first time back in March, I was like, this is great. Like, I can rest and 
then I can do things that I finally want to do, like dance more. But I think on top of the pandemic and on top of like being at home um, and doing everything in one environment, that really played a hard part on dance. Um, and I wasn't really motivated to be creative in a dance way. Um, and that's okay because I feel like maybe that was needed. And now that we've hit stage three and things are reopening again, um, I've had the opportunity to go in and teach and I find a almost refreshed perspective on it now. Um, I think quarantine and dance kind of made me see like why I was doing this like why what am I gaining out of this pause um and out of this lack of motivation how am I going to turn this into something a little bit more positive and use that when we're still going through this and navigating through this but ultimately when we're out into the world again so yeah, I was not into like online learning um, and online teaching. Like I think connect, like human connection is really different online. Um, and maybe that was the reason why I wasn't moving so much. But I think it's definitely um, allowed me to tap into other parts of my brain to be creative as well. So, and I think when when you come to terms with just how fragile the concept of certainty is, I think it definitely puts dance and art and everything that um, we love doing, it, it puts it in a different light and it, it kind mm -hmm. of kind of adds to it and it makes it just that much more colorful. So it makes me really, really happy that you're out there and, and you're teaching again because we need teachers like you. Oh, yeah. Thank you. It's yeah, like teaching online is not easy and I commend any educator out there who's doing that um but again like with teaching online the values that I had prior to are the values that I'm carrying into teaching online and what I'm carrying afterwards so mm, love that and you know speaking of teaching you know I remember that you've had an opportunity to teach the kids in El Salvador. And mm -hmm. I want to talk a little bit about, you know, some of the things that you've done over there. So you went to El Salvador in 2018 mm -hmm. through World Vision mm -hmm. to kind of support and, and uplift um, certain initiatives about child protection there. What was your experience like? Yeah, that honestly was a life-changing trip. And I think a lot of who I am today is developing from what was experienced there, but I've gone to places where there are hardships. And in that in those communities in El Salvador, hardships were visible and they were present. And I think understanding that we were in communities that were governed by gang-related violence, which led to kids um not having specific resources after school, not having the access to arts after school, 
and things like that made me realize like how important it is to advocate for children but also resources that they need to survive basically Mm. um and so with world vision like we were able to see the work that they were doing um that can uplift communities but also like raise them and when I say raise them I mean like how you can sponsor cattle for example and they can grow cattle in the community and that'll be able to provide for people there or how raising a community like you can teach moms and dads how to love their kids and engage in like nurturing and loving workshops at school so for me like that was really eye-opening and I thought wow like if this is work that World Vision is doing on a grand scale like this what can we do at home that can advocate for these same things but for the people like in Toronto, in Canada, and eventually the world as a group of artists. So a lot of the work that I did afterwards and that I want to be doing is, again, advocating for those communities where they don't have access to these things. Um, But we do. And so how do we share that? Um, is basically like the main takeaway that I got from that experience. But yeah, I mean, traveling, I think it was nine or 10 days with World Vision staff and with a whole bunch of other creatives was just like, wow, like we're really living life, you know? And to see how these kids who are living in those hardships are living, but they're also happy. It's just like, we're like, what can we do to build that here? But also, how are they happy like that? And I think for myself, it's like, honestly, the simple things in life are what people look forward to. Um, And for them, it was art and dance and singing and writing. And that alone was just super inspiring. Yeah, totally. And I imagine because you know, as, as a young kid, you, that's when you got interested into the arts and that's when storytelling fascinated you. So it, it, it must've been just such a treat to kind of get that full circle feeling yeah. and, and kind of sort of give that back and say, oh my God, I was, I was in your place not that long ago. And here I am, I get to kind of do that giving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. These were like kindergartners up until grade 12. And despite what they were going through and their living conditions, they were really ambitious. And yeah, that just, that sinks with you, you know? And my hope on any level is that everyone can experience some sort of feeling like that um, because it is really eye-opening and your perspective kind of shifts and there's almost like a newfound gratitude for who you are where you are what you're doing um and the skills and the knowledge that you have that you can use to share with others right and you know not just El Salvador I feel like you've been someone who's been doing 
the work for a for long time. I mean, organizing events for the dance community, like Make It Happen Workshop, mm-hmm. where you flew in these badass women to teach on Women's Day. Yeah. And then uh, the more recent, the fight continues that you put together for the Australian bushfires. Where does that strength and that, and that drive come from? Were you always a kid who was passionate about kind of raising voices and advocating? Um, I think, yeah, just being empathetic and wanting to support um, in any way, shape or form. Um, I think where I am and where I come from, I don't want to say comes from privilege, but I, I have the resources to help. So why not? Like, why would I not choose to help if I have like-minded people beside me who agree with the things that we should be doing or we should be fighting for. Um, And the Make It Happen workshop was the first one that I ever put on by myself with the help of like close friends. And I think for that one specifically, I was like, women, are amazing and I don't think we know how amazing we are people in general have their own stories and they go through things and there's so many internal stuff that we hold on to but I don't think we understand how much women have had to go through across generations so let's do something for them and celebrate wins that we have and we will continue to have and fight for and i flew out rena and carmen with my own money that i didn't like have funding for or anything but it was mainly because like i wanted them to see like how powerful they were in not just their communities but communities here and having amanda and Apollonia as well teach was just like the cherry on top. Like here are two powerful women um, together combined with these two from Vancouver, let's do something. Um, So I'm always, I will always root for women um, and put them on all the platforms and stools that I can find. But for me comes down to always wanting to support and putting myself in other people's shoes and being empathetic. Um, when JP reached out with the fight continues, like that was a no brainer for me. Um, the Australian bushfires might be like across the world, but again, if there's something that we can do at home to help them, then we're going to do that and contribute in any way we can. It doesn't have to be monetary if, we can't like donate a thousand dollars. It could simply be sharing the event and saying, Hey, this is happening. Um, if you have like the means to go, go do it. I think it's just really amazing that even, you know, there's a lot of people in this world who are predominantly focused on putting themselves on the pedestal and to putting themselves on stage. But I think we need more people like you and an important lesson here is to kind of like like you mentioned with the make it happen workshop to kind of bring other people and and just show them just how powerful they are and and put them on that stage Mm -hmm. even when you're not anywhere near that picture or you may not be you know in that spotlight and I think it's just 
so selfless of you and just so courageous of you. And, and the same thing with, you know, the workshop uh, for the Australian bushfires. Like you said, they, they could be, you know, across the world, but at the end of the day, they're our people. Yeah. And it's, you know, we can always do something about it. There is always something that we can do about it. Um, and that, that kind of drive to advocate in your own unique way, does that come from a particular experience or is that just something that you've collected over time? Um, yeah, I think we grow up framing ourselves around our story um, and the story that we make about ourselves. So mine, which like is always evolving and I'm like, I reframe, but mine, I think an advocating comes from when I was born, I had a lot of complications and I, right after being born, I was transferred over to sick kids and they did what sick kids does. <laughs> and so here I am today. But when my mom told me that story, I was like, huh, that I should say thanks because I'm here today and I'm healthy. So I should probably say thank you. And my mom was like, well, they do take donations, but that's up to you if you want to do it. I'm not going to push you to do something that you don't want to do. If you want to write a thank you card, that's more than enough. Um so in high school, when they announced that pennies were going to be like out of commission, like pennies were no longer going to be a thing, I was like, okay, well, if everybody is going to let their pennies sit at home or return them to the bank anyways, why don't we turn it into a penny drive and then donate that money to sick kids? And then that could be my way of saying thank you. But also sick kids is this huge community that I'm sure the thousand people in my high school might have had some sort of experience with and if they didn't have the experience directly then maybe they know someone who had experience with the kids so my friend on athletic council and i put on this penny drive where for i think a week or two weeks we collected pennies um and we raised over six hundred dollars in pennies that we ended up donating to sick kids and from there, I was like, okay, that was cool. Like, now what else can I do? Like, what else with advocating and supporting organizations, supporting people can we do that will help them? So, yeah, my first ever, like, fundraiser um, and just bringing overall awareness was I think that was grade 12. And again, like that comes from learning about myself and tuning in and finding out like who I am, what I've been through, what I want to do and who I want to be. Um, my mom also uh, used to sponsor children through World Vision and seeing like their pictures on the fridge and like hearing their stories and hearing my mom like uh sponsoring other things for the community was always just like oh cool like you can do that while you're here and raising a family and also working i wonder what other possibilities there are then and your curiosity as a child i think it's just amazing how it kind of 
it took you places. It made you, it made you ask questions and, and you know figure out what what could I be doing? Am I doing? Am I doing everything that I could be doing? And if not, where do I start? Mm-hmm. You know, what do I do? I think that curiosity not only has shaped you as an artist in terms of figuring out um, the kind of storyteller you are, but also in terms of the kind of person you are. And it's just very inspiring to even, you know, hear. Um, and, and for a lot of people, I think 2020 this year has just been a hurricane of, of wake up calls. And a lot of people are just starting to figure out that uh, we're a lot more alike than different. And a lot of people are just starting to enter the battle scene for other people and to protect our other brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. So where do you think people can start? I mean, what's one way maybe people listening to this can start doing and, and how can they start doing the work? Yeah, um, I think it starts with themselves first and asking, how do I want to be a player in this? Um, because it is a lifelong momentum that we're going to constantly be learning and unlearning and battling through. But first starts with how do I want to play a role in this? Um, And that involves like sitting with yourself and almost playing 21 questions like, who do I know that could use my support? Or what could I do today that will make an impact tomorrow? Or you know, like, I think really getting to know who you are and how you want to have an effect in this momentum is really critical in the work that you're going to be doing. Because like I say with my classes, if you're going to show up and show up with your whole self, then from there is where you can start doing all the work. Because if you're first coming into this, being like, okay, I guess I have to do it because everybody else is doing it. The feeling that you're going to have and the results that you are going to get are not going to be the same if somebody else was going into it wholeheartedly and genuinely. Um, So yeah, my first thing would be sit with yourself and ask like, what role do you want to play in all of this? Mm, I love that. Again, just going back to yourself, because if you don't know what your purpose is and what sets you on fire and what makes you so uncomfortable that you just have to do something about Mm -hmm. it, it's very hard to be um, of help and in a sustainable way. Because this fight, you know, this momentum, it's going to go on forever and it's meant to go on forever. Mm -hmm. We're meant to help and do things forever so I think it's just amazing how we can you know reflect inwards and and kind of start there because that's where all the work's coming from yeah no exactly and you know speaking of the future something that I've been just you know dying to ask you to just transition a little bit is about the future of our own community Mm -hmm. um I think we've seen the dance scene kind of mold a little bit and, and change in terms of what it's going to become mm-hmm. um and, and you know we're, we're breaking down things that haven't worked in the past and and we're hoping to put in place these new systems that hopefully work um so now I know that you're planning a competition with Safa yeah. and I know it's not it's like it's in the works and I don't know how much you can talk about it 
But did you want to share a couple things about that? Yeah. So when I guess throughout quarantine, like we've learned a lot of things. And as a female and having that innate drive almost to provide, um, post-secondary for me was where I learned a lot about myself and I had a whole bunch of experiences. And to have a platform where I was able to present myself and be something gave me so much confidence. And so with this post-secondary competition that we're planning, we want it to come from the roots of, I know you're a student, I was a student as well, and I'm still a student, but I also know that you have hobbies and that you're passionate about things. And I want to give you an experience in your post-secondary career that you're going to remember for the rest of your life. And that's gonna come from like the foundations and values of giving, support, honesty, transparency, and everything like that. So Safa and I have had a couple meetings and we really want this post-secondary competition to not just be a moment, like not just be one night where people showcase, judges come in, but we want it to be sort of like a course that you take in a semester where these memories are going to last you a lifetime. So it's more than just a competition. Um, there are going to be a couple workshops that involve things dance and things non-dance. Um, and I think it's going to be something different that the post-secondary scene will see that I think they will benefit from. I can't say too much, but I'm really excited for where it's going to go and how it's going to serve a growing group of people. Absolutely. Because as a post-sex student myself, I think a big part of these years that I'm spending at either a college, university, are just how we, you know, come together as a dance team and, and, and figure this life thing out together. Yeah. Because like you said, at competition, it's more than just that one night. It's about everything that goes into it. It starts way before auditions. Mm -hmm. it, it, you know, it's everything in between that beautiful accumulation of it. So I just, I'm so excited that we get to do that again and, and just and a female-led competition come on yeah I'm here <laughs> for it like that's gonna be great yeah I'm really excited I think I've worked with a lot of people in the past but there's just something different about female energy and yeah I think just to have a team of females and males who support us like genuinely it's really inspiring like we bring a lot of different things to the table as women already. So to have all these energies around is just, wow. Totally. And something that I find that as women, we have this unique perspective because we're able to see these gaps and we're able to kind of figure out these solutions because that's what we've been doing our whole lives as women. You know, we've been kind of put in these gaps and, and we've seen structures and we've seen policies that 
weren't made for us in the first place. And that ability to look at something and say, yeah, not going to work for everyone here. Let's change it. That comes from an experience that comes from being a woman and and whatever comes with that. So it's about time that, you know, our community has had a female led competition and especially you too. I mean, you guys are just amazing. Mm -hmm. So, so excited for it. Thank you. I'm excited too. I, I really want each and every single person who engages with this post-secondary competition to feel how special they are. So, yeah. I love that. Um, last question for you. So the title of the podcast is Poking Bears. I and mean, I've talked to you a little bit about it, but I think there's a bear inside all of us. And I feel like it, it's time that we woke it up and, and, and poked mm-hmm. it because it, it's time we did that work. Because as bears, our our purpose is to protect whatever is the most valuable to us. And I feel like a lot of the bears inside us have just been dormant for a really long time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, through this podcast, I kind of want to poke different people and see what comes out. Um, so it makes me wonder. Something that, you know, we often ponder about is is where our shortcomings are and then you know how are we a work in progress today Mm -hmm. and and what are we improving on and and our goals etc but something that I feel like we don't quite often reflect upon is what we're already built of Mm -hmm. so my question to you is what is your superpower that's so funny I was asked this yesterday actually for Sora's uh, artful balance of business and dance course oh I love it was one of the 21 questions that she asked us in order for us to get to know ourselves better. And that was the last question. Um, And I think my answer is the same as it was yesterday, but ask me last month, it would have been completely different. I think my superpower is how forgiving I am. Um, And I think that is towards myself, but also towards other people. I have gone through some stuff, like there and back. Uh, but I think what I recognize is that we are human and humans make mistakes, whether that's people making those mistakes towards us or us making those mistakes to other people or to ourselves. Um, there is good and there is bad and when we recognize the bad and acknowledge it it's a matter of what do we do with it and for myself for a very long time I let things happen to me um, and I never really understood why I let those things happen and It honestly wasn't until conversing with a therapist where I allowed myself to forgive who I was then when those things had happened and who those people were when those things happened. Um, It is really easy for me to be hard on myself about where I've been in the past um, or a simple mistake like sleeping in until like 10 Um, but ultimately, like, 
forgiving myself and understanding that, okay, I am here in this moment. So I'm going to be present in this moment is where I guide myself to. Um, because I think the more that I'm hard on myself, the more unhappy I can get. And so it's just a matter of, yeah, like forgiving what's happened and just being present with where I am and recognizing that and moving forward from there. Um, there's that saying, forgive, but don't forget. And I ride with that so deeply. And I don't know if it's a good or bad thing like that. I'm still figuring out. But I can forgive whatever happened. But I might not forget it. And I don't know that I don't think it's me holding a grudge. I literally think that's just me and my memory bank. <laughs> I think with, you know, your superpower being forgiveness, first of all, that's the coolest thing I've ever heard because I struggle with that just so much. And I think you're you're just so compassionate. Like you radiate that energy. So huge fan. But anyway, in terms of forgiving but not forgetting I feel like that forgetting part or not forgetting rather it's really about just drawing a boundary and saying you know if, if someone were to come in and and you know kind of get too close it's it's easy to forgive them but you know with that experience you can use whatever came out of it to draw a neat little boundary around yourself and say never again is that going to happen because now that boundary is visible it's not just visible to me but it's visible to other people and i think that's just how you live that's how you draw these boundaries and, and keep yourself cozy and protected in, in the space that you wish to be yeah, in yeah no that's exactly you yeah you put it so right is that's exactly it and i've been learning like with my therapist specifically like how I set up those boundaries and for right now I'm calling it being in the present because that's what I'm practicing and that's where I want to be but ultimately yes it's understanding that okay that happened but I'm not going to let that happen again because I'm going to set myself up with those boundaries like you said I'm going to involve myself in those relationships that understand those boundaries and will not try and push them. Um, I'm going to be kinder to myself and practice forgiveness and practice positive affirmations and like better self-talk. So yeah, no, you put it in so right. Like that's exactly what it is. Yeah. And and that's just amazing. It's just that, you know, that evolution, that becoming one step closer to your highest self until the highest self has already evolved. And then just chasing it for a lifetime, really. Because mm -hmm. I think with, you know, experiences that we've had and boundaries that we've had to draw for ourselves, it, it's it's what we do from that materials because with, with all kinds of experiences, I feel like there's that leftover bit where a lot of people, I feel like there's this tendency to kind of throw it in the past or just throw it away in general. Yeah. But there's so much that can be done with that, like, you know, just in terms of taking that with you and, and kind of reflecting upon it to make sure that nothing resembles that in your life. And, and that's just a lifelong process mm -hmm. because patterns show up over and over again so yeah. 
continuing to do that is just such a great thing. Thank you. Well, you're just so amazing and I could learn so much from you and I can't wait to learn from you in real life again. But thank you so much for talking with me. Oh no, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for listening to Poking Bears. This podcast's music was produced by Alex Mack, and the artwork is designed by Farah Shahade. See you soon.